You are listening to a Pleasure Podcast. For more from our Sex Podcast Collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Hey friends, welcome to American Sex, a podcast dedicated to normalizing conversations about pleasure and alternative sexual expression by challenging those puritanical backward ass ideals we have in the United States. This is episode 122 of American Sex Podcast, and I am Sunny Megatron. And I am not. Who are you, Ken Melvoinberg? Not. I said I'm contrary. You're you're Ken Melvoinberg. We're sexuality educators, pleasure advocates, and kinky perverts too. And we're married. And we're married. And you walked in on me masturbating for the fourth day in a row today. I'm like you have this so uncanny sorry. super ability to you can be gone and not see me for twelve hours, and as soon as I touch my penis, you're like dee, 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 dee. your psychic <laughs> ability knows, and you come running and you knock on the door. And you're like, Ken, did you hear about Elton John or Ken? Did you hear about the coronavirus, Ken? Did you- just don't worry, Elton John does Elton not John have the coronavirus. Elton John is fine. He does not have the coronavirus. I mean, as of the time of this recording. Who knows True what could happen? I'm so, so Sir sorry. Sir is a little bit older. I'm so sorry that I'm a masturbation magnet. Can I get a t-shirt? Can you get me a t-shirt? That's a great idea. Wear a t-shirt that says masturbation magnet and go out in public. That's an awesome idea. Well, I wouldn't go to like <laughs> the park where the kids are playing, but... I think that's a terrible idea for a t-shirt. Oh, yeah. Even like at kink events, because then I would get the creepy guy in the corner yeah, pulling exactly. his penis would just come up You're going to get and... creeps. You're not going to get the kind of people that you want to have. Okay, why don't I wear it at home? <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, who are we talking to this week, Ken? This week, we have two guests that are here to talk about unfucking your polyamory. Both are old friends of the podcast who have been on here many times. We have Dr. Liz Powell and man of mystery, Kevin Patterson. Dr. Liz believes that great sex can change the world and is on a mission to help you have more meaningful, pleasurable relationships. They're a coach and licensed psychologist, helping couples and singles develop self-confidence and authenticity in their relationships. Whether conventional or non-traditional, their new book, Building Open Relationships, is the newest way they are spreading the great sex word. Kevin Patterson is an active member of the Philadelphia polyamory community. He's been practicing ethical non-monogamy since August of 2002 after opening up a relationship that eventually became his marriage. Kevin also created the most diverse and inclusive platform for polyamory available called Poly Role Models. He's also the author of Love's Not Colorblind, Race and Representation in Polyamorous and Other Alternative Communities, and co-author of the sci-fi novel series For Hire. Okay, so we started this conversation with testicles, much like Ken started his morning before I walked in. <laughs> no, so really what that means is... Oh, no, that was a for real tickle. That wasn't a test tickle. <laughs> so so I, I was here I was in the middle of like, there was like, I have this thing about women in latex. Like there's like this, like I was watching a video with four women in latex and there was a guy with a gas mask and he was the center of their attention. And on a scale of one to 10, I was at a nine. And then there's... God, it's time to do the podcast. Sorry. In the scenario, were you the guy? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh I just get so excited when you get a little subby. You were the guy, was the guy subby? Or was he just in a gas mask dominating the women? Because that's No, 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 he was scenario. being dominated. No, he was wearing a gas mask, being dominated. <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, so and they were all like latex sexy nurses. Ooh. And they were climbing all over him and they didn't give him what he wanted right away. And like every time he was about to come, they stopped him. We have a gas mask. 
We have multiple gas masks. I know. Okay, just saying. Anyway, um, so we started this conversation with testicles. And what I mean by that is this guest conversation starts rolling from the moment I hit record. So we start with our testing, testing. And then it just kind of devolves into this conversation that's really funny. And it's sort of turned into the interview, meaning... There was no really great place to edit it and cut it for continuity's sake. So you get the whole conversation. But really, this conversation is great for those thinking about non-monogamy, plus long timers that may need to unfuck their polyamory. We talk about the toxic monogamous ideals we bring into poly relationships and how they trip us up. You get advice for poly breakups and an answer to the question, quote, can you actually cheat if you're already polyamorous? Um, we talk about managing resentment and frustration, navigating poly Facebook, and where newcomers can get solid advice and information, why unicorn hunting is frowned upon, how to address the perceived power imbalance between longtime partners and new metamors, the different types of polyamory, and a fuckload more. Okay, American fuckers, this is what you got to do. Pause this episode right now and grab your partners and your metamors and your like-minded friends so y'all can listen together, because I bet this episode will spark some great conversation. And I wanted to give a special thanks to uh, Kevin and Dr. Liz for helping me out with a situation that I had. I had um, been involved in a polyamorous relationship with a longtime girlfriend who cheated on me and lied to me about stuff in the relationship. And they sort of helped make things clear in my head and uh, really assisted me with the disappointment that I felt in that. So. Have you guys been joining us on Wednesday nights for our sex ed live streams on Get Vocal? They are informative, interactive, and best yet, they're free. Plus, each week, we give away a luxury sex toy to a random viewer. If you go to bit.ly slash sunnygetvocal, that's S-U-N-N-Y-G-E-T-V-O-K-L, you can watch replays of all our past episodes. We've covered prostate play, erectile dysfunction, BDSM 101, G-spot play, electrosex, and much, much more. Join us this upcoming Wednesday, March 11th at 8 p.m. Pacific time live and win a sex toy. You can subscribe to our Get Vocal channel free at bit.ly slash sunny get vocal. Okay, so actually on this Get Vocal thing, we are part of an entire Wednesday night lineup about sex relationships and dating. It's called the Connection Zone. So whole evening of back-to-back programming from a bunch of creators like Love Rants, Black Girls Texting, Dateable Podcast, Not Your Therapist, Horizontal with Leela, and more. And in fact, this coming Wednesday, the 11th of March at 6 p.m. Pacific, Ken and I are guesting on the Clam chatter show. We're going to be talking about bringing play back into sexuality, kink, sex toys, and a bunch more. So tune in early, watch the whole evening. Also, I have a free thing for you, and you're going to want this. We are giving away an Eddie two-pack plus access to Giddy's revolutionary interactive ED educational guide valued at $249. All you need to do to enter is go to sunnymegatron.com slash giddy dash giveaway. That's G-I-D-D-Y dash giveaway and interact with the contest widget. We're going to draw the winner on the 18th of March. So you only got a few days. Good luck. All right, American fuckers. Here's Dr. Liz and Kevin Patterson. 
testing, testing, testicles, test, tickle, test, you're a little close. Your testicles are a little too close. Okay, test, tickle, test, tickle, test, tickle. Instead of testing, testing, it's slowly morphed into testes, and now we just say test, testicle, testicle one, testicle two, testicle one, testicle two, testicle one, testicle three, hey, testicle three. Let's get a little freaky. Okay. Well, hey, um, Sonny, what would you think if I had like third one, testicle? No, one shaved testicle third? and one unshaved testicle. Oh, it's almost like a sideways <laughs> mullet, like, like right. party on the left, jungle on the right. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's like slip and slide on the left and jungle on the right. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's either some... that or I've got to do a mustache with my crotch hair if I actually grow some. That's exciting. Would it be? No, or would that just be I was awful? being sarcastic. Okay. <laughs> I was thinking like 70s porn stash, but I mean, I don't feel like jug. there's any styling of the genital hair that comes out well, particularly, especially on there testicles. Isn't. Like, I, yeah. I don't know. Like, I mean, yeah. I've, I've, yeah, go ahead. I've you seen some bejazzling. I've seen some like shaved in shapes and stuff. And I just still think that that's not, it's just, it's just a lot. I mean, they kind of look like a map to Kazakhstan to begin with when you, when you look at the hair patterns. <laughs> so it's not like they're kind of sparse. They're all over the place. And I'm old. Mine are gray. I mean, mine more look like literal salt and pepper at this point. Yeah. Oops, and I'm, I'm sparse. I, I, so I just have like a comb over vulva all the time. I'm also like, it's sparse. Just shit. Yeah, like, I hate it. I, I grow my bush for like a year and you can still clearly see my lips through it. It is so unfortunate. Yes. Yes, and it's like I really want like the bush is back. I right? want to be natural, and every time I do, it's just so pathetic. It's right? like my I don't know my vulva's going through chemo or something. Like right? it's just like, not once or twice not. a year. I just look at myself in the yeah. mirror. I'm like, this is sad, and I just trim it down because <laughs> yeah. like I it's not a like it's a it's the fullest bush I can grow, but it's not full by any objective standard. Right, right. Okay, I feel like some kind of bond. Thank you for sharing this. I'm so because glad I'm like, we bonded over our bushes. I know. I feel like I'm the only sparse one out there. And then when I'm like, I have sparse pubes and I hate it, people just kind of look at me like, okay, like I have a third ball. Right? And yeah. Not but, that there's anything wrong with having a third ball. No. There is not anything wrong with having a third ball, but it's just surprising. Have you ever met anybody? Has any of us met? And like, we know a lot of sexy people. Does anybody know anyone with a third testicle? No. I know someone with one testicle, but I don't know anyone. Yeah, with I know three. a few. Yeah, I know a few yeah. people with one, but and none. But I don't know anybody with three. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Interesting. Now we have to find a tritesticled individual. I try to. That sounds like a dinosaur. I feel like for a tritesticle <laughs> situation to happen, you'd have to have like a chimera kind of situation happening, where like someone yeah. partially absorbed a twin. I think that's kind of the only way you'd get that kind of tissue happening. Yeah. And if the person with a third testicle, <laughs> yeah. if, the, if the person with a third testicle was a dominant, they would be a oh. testicle top. Oh God! No, God. Wow. no. Okay, it's Sir Testicle Top to you. Next, yes, in one of your next uh, superhero series, you have to have somebody that has a third magical testicle. No, with, like, I, I like the idea of the cyber. Like, he said cybernetic testicle. He had okay. me a cybernetic. Oh, okay, okay. Because you don't want to do you don't want to do science so, and magic, really. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's that would make it like kind of hard to do. A testicle. A testicle. <laughs> Or, oh my god! Or if it was magical, it would be like a monocle, but it would be like a future-seeing magical testicle. Oh my god! It can like impregnate what? people into the future. That's what it does. Ooh. Ooh, I would like that. I would like to be impregnated into the past so I could go reverse some of my mistakes. Oh, it's fair. I would do that. That's fair. Yeah. 
Like Sid or Faye? No, not <laughs> humans. Wow. They were surprises. They were surprises. Okay? There's a difference. Sorry, we joke about this, oh you guys. I'm sorry. No, like, you, you don't we... need to apologize. So I'm, I'm not sure how we got here. I don't know if we've actually started. Have we started? <laughs> I mean, Maybe we have. It's recording. I don't know. What is starting? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, you know, three <laughs> testicles and all the sparse pubic hair. I don't know what's happening, but we're actually here to talk about unfucking your polyamory. With? With what? Three testicles? No. Who are we oh. interviewing, you asshole? <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're not, there's not two testicles on the other line chatting with us right now. I'm just well, there are two testicles. There are a total of two testicles on the other lines. This is true. Oh, my God. Oh, okay, with Kevin Patterson. Award-winning author. Award-winning author and Kev- man of mystery. mystery Kevin, Kevin Patterson. Patterson. And Dr. Liz. Oh, my yes. gosh. <laughs> So, how about like we she's turning like this you guys? She's turning red right now. I don't think I've ever Perfect. seen her this, this embarrassed so in my entire this is life. The best. She is. I love red. being on this show. It is the oh. funnest time ever. Oh my goodness! So, <laughs> unfucking our polyamory. So, all right, polyamory is a hot topic. And we're, I'm seeing it in like all the magazines, you know, Cosmo and, you know, every magazine you can imagine that talks about sex or relationship is talking about, ooh, polyamory. And it's very like glamorized, like it's the, this utopia, you know, people who, who are poly live in this utopia <laughs> yes. where everyone just is so kumbaya and they're all yeah, getting good oral yeah, sex all the time. Of course, it's just and orgies every night and you wake up every morning with three sets of feet sticking out from your covers. That's how it works, exactly. right? Exactly, exactly. And it is not like that. So a lot of us jump into it and we're like, what the fuck? This is not what Cosmo told me it should be. Um, So y'all have teamed up together to help people unfuck their polyamory. So let's just start with what does the person out there who read the Cosmo article that thinks this is going to be great, what do they need to know? Well, the first thing they need to know is that they have to unlearn everything. <laughs> now we we get a lot of modeling from um, from like pop culture and like our parents and like Disney movies. And when you find yourself in non monogamy and ethical and consensual non monogamy, it's it gets really easy to bring a lot of those messages with you, and you don't know which ones are are beneficial, which ones are toxic, or which ones are beneficial in monogamy and just unreasonable in in, uh, in polyamory. So we're going to be tackling all of those things. So I can actually think of one question about a Disney movie. So obviously Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs were about polyamory, right? 100%, yes. I mean, yeah, totally. Like Snow White was like a peak service submissive and she found this house full of like ratty dudes and was so excited that she could cook and clean for them, right? And that is the moral of the story. And she was also clearly into like objectification play and like being given away by them as like their, their slave because they just invited whatever cute royal came up to just kiss her on the lips and see if that helped, right? That's, exactly. That was my takeaway as well, yes. I, I love it. I, I love it. I love it. Um, wow, I need to go watch Snow White. <laughs> I was joking, sweetheart. I know. I know you were joking. Anyway. 
Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that I would say is that a lot of us think that we know how to do relationships. But when we really boil it down, most of how we learn how to date, how we learn how to love comes from either watching our families or watching TV and movies. And I don't know if y'all have watched TV and movies lately, but those relationships are terrible. <laughs> They're mm-hmm. so bad. Um, I'm actually going to be in Vegas in April presenting at Clexicon. And Clexicon is like a queer representation and media conference based around a relationship on this TV show, The 100. And that that relationship between Clark and Lexa is the key of this conference is disastrous because they betray each other all the time in very important ways fuck once and then one of them dies so like spoiler alert right it's, it's years old we're, we're fine right but yeah. like i think that a lot of us learn these very weird messages about what love is supposed to be like that uh if you've watched any john hughes movie if you're a dude mm. you're supposed to just stalk and annoy a woman until she realizes that she's loved you all along or uh, if you're a woman, you're supposed to, like, go after assholes until eventually that nice guy who's always been there for you, you realize that you loved him, right? There's just all of this gross bullshit about who gets to say what we do with our bodies, how much time we're supposed to spend it with each other, how much of a separate life we get to have, and we internalize that super deeply. And if you take all of those stories and scripts and try to do non-monogamy with them, you're going to just crash and burn. Uh-huh. So I have a I have a question for you guys as experts. Um, I've been poly for about twenty years, and for the first time ever, I have been involved in a situation with a long term girlfriend that ended up cheating on me, lying to me about who she was with, um, in a very consistent manner, and it was very surprising to me. And it was interesting because when I was younger and I had a failed relationship of what, you know, whether it was my fault, whether it was both of our faults, no matter what had happened, like I always felt sad this time. I just felt extreme disappointment. Um, I was very, very disappointed because like, if you're in a poly relationship, that's honest. There was lots of communication going on. Why would somebody cheat and Ugh. lie in a poly situation? Cause I just, it's to, right now, I, by the way, everybody out there, I am poly single. Yes, I'm married to Sonny, but I'm also looking for another partner. But my heart's a little tender right now from this whole situation because I feel a little untrustworthy because this was somebody who was poly for, you know, with many partners for many years. Yeah. I think a lot of people cheat in non monogamy for the same reasons that they cheat in monogamy, which is a lot about their own shame and their own stories about who they're supposed to be and how they're supposed to show up in relationships. And they start choosing behaviors that aren't in alignment with those stories. So rather than examining whether to change those behaviors or examining whether those stories are a problem, they just start trying to cover so they can maintain as much as possible. Um, I hear a lot of folks say, like, it's impossible to cheat in non-monogamy, or it shouldn't matter if they cheat on you if you're polyamorous, or it shouldn't matter if you have a breakup when you're poly because you still have people. And none of that is true. It hurts so much when your relationship is already set up so that the person can go fuck whoever they want, and then they go and do it and don't tell you about it, and then you find out. Because there's just no point. Like, why? Why? Why not tell me about the people that you're fucking so that I can celebrate it with you? Why make me feel like I can't trust you now and I can't trust what you're saying? Um, It's just, it's challenging. And I think especially when I talk to folks I know who are more on the monogamy side of the spectrum, they don't get why it would bother me that someone is doing stuff 
and not being honest with me about it. Because for them, any infidelity is the same. Whereas for us, people having sex with other people isn't infidelity. It's the lies that is the problem. Yeah, that's and that's exactly what it was. It was more the lies than the infidelity. The infidelity was definitely a side note that made me feel bad about myself. But it was the lies that I found unnecessary because we had for five years solid communication, always revisiting things, talking about stuff. And like, like, have any of you been cheated on in a poly relationship, or is am I the only one? Oh, I like, have. I, I feel very alone. I honestly do. Like, I feel like. And th- this is the first time I've come out with this. So how how did things go with you, Dr. Liz? Well, so I was dating someone who was newer to polyamory. And uh, I had told him, like, really clearly what my expectations were about, like, look, if you have sex with other people, that's cool. Just let me know. Uh, that partner and I were not using barriers at that time. And not once, not twice, but three times, he had sex with someone else, didn't use barriers with them, and didn't tell me about it until after we had already had sex again. Um, and I was so furious. I can neither confirm nor deny whether his house got TP'd by a group of friends (laughs) happy to support their friend. Um, (laughs) that's brilliant, by the way. (laughs) You know, I had a bunch of friends in town. We'd had a fun orgy together. We were looking for other fun things to do. And, you know, I'd never TP'd a house for, so here we go. Um, But it, and like, again, to do it multiple times, like the first time I think I gave him another shot because I figured he must not have understood like what matters to me. And I think I just like couldn't get it through my head that it wasn't that he didn't understand. It was that he just didn't want to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you recommend handling a situation like that from the perspective of the person who was cheated on. I know when someone's done me wrong in uh in relationships, it it kind of depends on how much damage I take and how contrite they are in the aftermath thereof. Um I know that I I mean while while no one's ever cheated on me in a in a in a relationship, I have had situations where I felt like this hurts, this is a violation, I'm not into this and the person who hurt, who harmed me wasn't trying to hear that any harm had been done. And in, in that case, it's like, well, they're giving me an answer. They're giving me an answer. And if they don't understand why I'm hurting, why I'm struggling, why I'm upset, then, then there's nothing really more I can do about it. But if it is somebody who is contrite, who understands, who, who is willing to have the conversation and, and sort of put in some work, like, uh, in terms of like, uh, like, you know, knowing better and then doing better, I'm willing to hear that conversation. You know, I'm willing to hear apologies. Again, it it really depends on sort of the harm done, where I don't know how I'm going to react to cheating because that's not been my my experience. But if it's something else, you know, something something minor, then, you know, maybe we just laugh about it and walk it off. And I think from my perspective, too, a lot of it, depends on like how interconnected your communities are because in polyamory like with the queer communities sometimes you just can't get distance from that person um a lot of our communities are just super small uh you know i was out last night at a fun kink event here in town with my super hot new partner and we ran into my ex who hurt me really badly and 
there's no way I'm going to be able to avoid that ex forever because we live in the same town. There's just not enough extra places for us to go to. But I can aggressively ignore him and make him feel invisible to me, which for me is a good enough revenge for now. Um, and I think it depends on like what it is you want to get out of it. You know, it, is it worth having a conversation with this person? How interconnected are you? Are there people who were shared friends or shared connections in your life? What do you want them to know about it? What matters to you in this situation? And it's complicated because none of us wants to be the person out there talking shit about our exes all the time. And some of the stuff we might want to say could be important to other potential partners of theirs. So I think it's a balancing act of like for you, what are your key values and how do you best live up to those in the aftermath of this breakup? Uh, okay. Yeah. That actually, that actually does help a lot. And we, you know, it's communication was a key thing that was a cornerstone of our relationship. And I tried communication, but she was unwilling because of the shame that she felt about being caught mm. um, to, to continue on with that. So rather than put her through anything else, I just decided to cut off contact because if she didn't want to do closure and she didn't want to talk, I mean, like blocking her from social media, et cetera, et cetera, was I thought the best option so that we could be as amicable as possible. Yeah. Yeah. That's super fair. I mean, I think a lot of people talk shit about blocking people on social media and I am here to tell y'all like block at your free will. I think, Oh yeah. You know, there is yeah. enough terrible stuff in the world at large that you don't need your social media to reflect that too. If blocking someone is going to make you feel better and help your life be a little bit better, like fucking go for it. Yeah. 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 I saw like some kind of meme, like, you know, blocking somebody, or using your block feature, whatever it is, is a form of self-care. Mm -hmm. It really is. It really, I mean, I do it not frequently, but I do it when I need to. And I don't know what else to do because it makes me feel not bad. So yeah, there, there's that. Um, oh, go ahead, sweetheart. So, all right. I'm thinking about people in the poly world taking their, all of their monogamous I don't want to call it baggage because it's not like monogamy is bad, but all of like the toxic things we've learned about monogamy mm -hmm. and bringing that into polyamory. And when I think of that, I think of the many polyamorous Facebook groups. I've <laughs> so, <laughs> so for those that don't belong to any poly groups, it, you know, random posts, it could be about anything. It's like person walks into polyamory that has that's maybe holding on to more toxic monogamous ideals. Maybe they're new to poly, whatever it is. And then 80 million people jump all over them and all give their opinions. And it turns into like some, some meltdown like Facebook yeah. does. Um, so, and I, I often see things like, you know, Hey, we're new to poly and, you know, I'm open about this, but I don't want to allow my partner to do that or, you know, yep. becoming too emotional or, you know, wanting to pursue a relationship that has some kind of longevity. That's when it crosses the line for me or, or whatever. So when I think of monogamy, I think about ownership. And we know whether you're monogamous or, or polyamorous, it's not a good thing to feel ownership over your partner. So can you kind of unpack that for us, yeah. how that works and how we get rid of it in polyamory? Yeah. And even in monogamy, really, because we all need to get rid of that shit. I mean, a, a lot of it is um, when people are when people are brand new, they try to find like their niche in um, in polyamory in a way that's 
that very much resembles monogamy. They basically they come into it and they have a bunch of fears and insecurities and and being new instead of knowing like having a, a tool set to address those uh fears and address those insecurities instead they'll try to find ways to like legislate them out like you put up a bunch of rules that are essentially cages for uh you know barriers for as opposed to like actually confronting it and it turns into like that online feeding frenzy because so many people who have some more experience they're seeing their their previous mistakes in these new in these new people who are posting like um like some like you said someone might come into a, an online forum and say well i don't want my partners messing with people with certain genitals or i don't want my partners mm-hmm. messing with people like messing with people that they get an emotional attachment to what they're essentially saying is i have a problem with i have a, I, I i i'm afraid that my partner will fall in love with someone more than they're in love with me and leave me forever. So I'm going to try to put up a rule against that. You know, I'm going to try to defend against that prematurely when really what they're doing is building resentment and uh, frustration into their own relationships. And people who have already experienced that uh, resentment and frustration in their previous relationships, they jump in and some, some might try to educate, but some might just try to set people on fire. Yeah, yeah. The, the polyamory Facebook groups are uniformly terrible. I don't know of any polyamory Facebook group that is not horrendous. Um, and I think it's because it is a really, it's a tough thing. You know, it, a lot of us face stigma from those around us. Um, even people who care about us may tell us that what we're doing is wrong or terrible or gross. Um, people lose friends, they lose jobs. So there are high stakes to begin with. And then when you add on to that, all of these, like, I, every polyamory group has a dozen posts about why unicorn hunting is an issue. And yep. yet people will mm-hmm. still come in and ask why people are so upset about unicorn hunting every goddamn time. So right. there's an issue of, like, one, there isn't a good starter space for people. They go directly from monogamy world to full-on polyamory world. And number two, a lot of folks think that they are the first person to think of these ideas. Yep. And have trouble listening to folks who are saying, look, we've been there. Please don't do this. What's uh, actually amazing, especially in those unicorn hunter conversations, they all say almost exactly the same thing. Like verbatim. Can you guys yeah. explain what unicorn hunting is, please? Have you take this one. Um, well, it's uh, basically uh, pre-established couples, usually het passing couples, male, female, het passing couples, um, Seeking a third person, seeking a third, in a lot of cases, seeking the stereotypical hot bi babe to, um, to engage with them in a third, uh, in a close triad. And that sounds entry level. It sounds really basic. It sounds like, Hey, I get to just add somebody to a relationship and make it a new relationship when that's not really how that works. Um, in a lot of cases, it's, bisexual you know uh bisexual women uh looking to explore their bisexuality without leaving the comfort of having a het passing relationship mm-hmm. and a, in a lot of cases it's het it's hetero dudes uh who are not threatened by women in relationships with one another women having sex with one another who more often than not see it as entertainment for het dudes 
Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that like wanting a triad, even wanting a closed triad is a bad thing, but the way it's approached very often leaves a lot of room for toxic behavior, leaves lots of room for couple privilege. And it's not really an easy thing to tell somebody that without without uh, them feeling attacked, without them feeling as if you're trying to like, you know, um, uh, shut down the whole idea of being in a triad or being in a polyamorous relationship. A lot of the people who get really upset with this are like the jilted ex-girlfriends, the, the you know, former unicorns of these relationships that went that went sour. And it's not really, you can't really tell somebody to like not have a strong emotional reaction when somebody comes into a Facebook forum asking for the exact same thing that their ex asked for, you know, however many years ago in a relationship that went bad. Yeah. 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 And I think, you know, what Kevin really hit on here is that a lot of the unicorn hunting and a lot of even the, the ways that these toxic monogamy behaviors show up is People want to change as little as possible from what they've always done when they move into polyamory. And that would be like saying, I want to move from my home in Portland to a home in the middle of the desert, but I don't want to have to change much. I don't want to change like my furniture or my clothing. I don't want to change like my habits. I want to just like move myself there and like have it be basically the same. And like, Theoretically, you could maybe do that, but most likely you're going to be very, very unhappy with how that actually ends up playing out for you. And I think it's mm-hmm. this assumption that it's it's just the same thing as monogamy plus more people, when really a lot of it is very deeply different and involves challenging so many of your assumptions about what it means to love someone. You know, monogamy world teaches us that to be special, you have to be the only right? The only person you're having sex is the one who's special to you. The person you love is the only one you want to do these things with. That that exclusivity is what defines what makes you special. And when that's your definition, it's really hard to move through non-monogamy world because you're either never special or you're trying to limit people all the time to, to yeah. like grasp that specialness back. I remember, mm. um, I remember like, and this is some years ago, a woman came into a forum that I was a part of and said, you know, my husband and I are looking for, uh, are, are dating somebody now. And I've been with my husband for 10 years. This new woman has been with my husband for a couple of months. She's always going to be 10 years behind me in terms of like love and trust and, and, and respect. <gasps> and she didn't understand why people were telling her like, that's not really how these relationships work, you know, where like her husband told her that uh, he loved her, you know, at, you know, maybe five months into the relationship. And she felt some sort of way because he told uh, he told this new person he loved her after like a month or two, you know. So it was something that she was really struggling with that she felt that she always had to have like a 10 year head start on this new person and didn't understand why things didn't function that way and really that's just not how human hearts or emotions work that's not how relationships work yeah and i think it builds this like focus on bean counting and like how many and how long and how did this and that makes it really hard to have a relationship with someone because It's not that any given person always says I love you at month three or any given person always wants to move in with someone at month eight. You know, we aren't 
that regular as humans. Humans are really unpredictable creatures. We're also really terrible at knowing what we want or how things are going to go for us. And when you're really focused on this model of things have to be the same, uh, things can't follow different patterns, why is this different with this person than it was with me, you're just going to create a whole bunch more heartache for yourself. So I have a couple of questions for you guys about the lexicon of words that we use in polyamory. And I'm going to give you three words that I want you to define for me, please. And that would be closed triad, polycule, and polysaturated. Which one you want, Liz? Um, I will take polysaturated first. Okay. Uh, So polysaturated for me means when you're at a point in your dating polyamorously where you aren't necessarily available for new significant partners. Uh, that might mean that you're open for new casual partners, but primarily your dance card is full. Yes. Uh, I'm going to go with um, with close triad because we were already just talking about it. Um, a triad is a relationship between three people, three people where all three are romantically uh, connected and closed as in not accepting any new people into that relationship. So it's the three of it's three people who are not dating polysaturated? anyone outside of the three. <laughs> Is okay. it three people that are polysaturated? Yeah. Well, they may not be well, polysaturated in it that depends. they don't have the capacity yeah. to date more. Right. They may have just chosen to not date more. Yeah, yeah polysaturated mm-hmm. for me is about capacity, whereas a closed triad is about a decision. Yeah, that's like an important distinction. Yeah. yeah. And what yeah. what is a polycule? So the polycule is just the arrangement of partners involved in any polyamorous situation. Uh, so some people's polycules are very simple. Some people have huge extended networks, depending on like where you stop drawing connections and lines. So like for me right now, my polycule might just be me and my partner, Zena, because they're the only person I'm dating particularly significantly. But if we include all of my casual lovers or like my twin flame in Jacksonville, and then we include all of their people, like it very quickly becomes a dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of people polycule. Wow. Yeah, yeah, same. Like we're like between Liz, myself, and a few other people, we're basically setting up alliances, uh, like Game of Thrones. <laughs> we each have our individual houses, and whenever someone needs to call call the banners, we, you know, we we show up. I feel like right. you and When's I have wedding? a strong alliance. Yes, we do. <laughs> so okay, so bringing up definitions. Um, I hear, and I don't know if there's one right answer to this. You know, I use the words polyamorous and open marriage and ethical non-monogamy pretty much interchangeably. I, I Even though I'm technically polyamorous, I don't like the word. I just kind of don't really identify with the stereotype of that community. So I don't tend to Sonny, use can it. I ask, so, can I ask you why yeah. specifically? Um. My first exposure to the polyamorous community was like white, crunchy, granola, kumbaya, just not my scene at all. And I just, I never felt like I identified with people like that. And I, it just kind of turned me off to the word. When I think of polyamory, that's fair. when I hear that word, that's what I think mm-hmm. of. And I'm just like, Ugh, not my scene. Um, even though I am totally polyamorous, you know, it's just my, my baggage. So, 
you know, I'll tell people I'm in an open marriage. And a lot of people are like, well, that's different than being polyamorous. I'm like, not in my book. Um, but is there like some kind of agreed upon definition, whether are those really are interchangeable or are they different things? I feel like a lot of those terms uh, are like umbrella terms for mm-hmm. that you can sort of uh, um, just sort of uh, break down. Um, so like just ethical non-monogamy that can in- that can include swinging that can include you know um people who have partners specifically for kink you know while you know like a a married you know a married partner over here or a kink partner over there that sort of thing i always take open marriage open relationships to just mean that you are open you are open to dating as opposed to uh the definition that i brought up with clothes like clothes triads where we're we're closed off from dating. Like, I guess with monogamy, monogamy could be closed marriage, whereas open marriage, there's still, you know, wiggle room for non-monogamy. The um, thing for me... No, go ahead, Kev. Like, the thing for me is that it's not so much about having, like, these definitions nailed down, um, as in having words that sort of open conversations. Whereas, mm. like, I had a partner who told me that she wasn't into casual relationships. Meanwhile, I thought we were in a casual relationship, but we were able to have the conversation about what she wanted, what I was willing to offer, what I wanted, what she was willing to offer, and we were on the same page. So we were calling it two different things, but we were actually in a really in a really dope relationship with one another, regardless of if we called you know, regardless of what we called it. Yeah, I think mm. that a lot of the confusion is that a lot of this terminology is just super, super new, uh, particularly in its common application, and is still being defined by the people using it. Yeah. Um, you know, polyamory, the best definition that I've heard for it that I like is uh, the, the uh, openness to having multiple loving relationships with the knowledge and consent of everyone involved. Now, loving doesn't mm. necessarily mean dating or having significant romantic connections. It means loving. And I think that a lot of the like terminology wars are because of those problematic experiences with the first group you encounter using those terms. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. the way that I do relationships is pretty darn close to relationship anarchy, but because the first relationship anarchists I encountered were all assholes who were relationship libertarians, I have no interest oh, in identifying oh. as a relationship anarchist. Right. Right. Yeah. And meanwhile, I know a lot of our relationship anarchists who simply adopted that term because of the stigma around calling themselves polyamorous, where when they met Uh when they met people who were polyamorous, it was all closed triads in really hierarchical, really monogamy plus one sort of structures and they got such a distaste for it that they won't call themselves polyamorous and they veered off to relationship anarchy meanwhile like i adopt both of those terms i think both of them are apt for me right right and i think i think in general you know i i think a lot of these terms i think about similarly to the term queer when I tell someone I'm queer, that doesn't necessarily tell them a ton about me, except that there is something there that is not the norm. And it's, like Kevin said, right. a conversation opener. You know, I'm queer. That means I have sex with people of a lot of different genders. I'm also gender queer. That means that my gender is not simply man or woman, but like way too much gender for one body to hold. And that's not something that I can encapsulate with one single term yet because our language is still so new around this. And so the paucity mm-hmm. of, of verbiage, I think, makes it so that these are all starts of conversations rather than ends of them. 
you have multiple partners? If so, when you keep things nice and neat and tidy down there, that means you're pleasing quite a crowd. Now, I'm not saying you need to shave yourself bald, but when your undercarriage is stinky and the weeds are out of control like that abandoned lot down the street, eh, not many folks are into that level of masochism. Well, thankfully, our sponsor, Manscaped, has your back and your front. And all your partner's backs and fronts, too. They've developed the Perfect Package 3.0. It contains all sorts of tools and goodies for a tidy bush. This revolutionary company, Manscaped, has redesigned the electric trimmer and called it the Lawnmower 3.0. The Lawnmower 3.0 has proprietary advanced skin-safe technology, so this trimmer won't nick your naughties. The Perfect Package 3.0 also has everything you need to fight stanky testicle syndrome. And no, that's not a real medical condition. It just means that, you know, sometimes your nuts really freaking stink. The Crop Reserver and the Crop Reviver products keep balls from sweating, smelling, and sticking. Right now, Manscaped has a special offer for you, your partners, your metamors, and more. 20% off and free shipping with the code SUNNY, S-U-N-N-Y, at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at M-A-N-S-C-A-P-E-D.com with the code SUNNY. You want to win a prize for the best-smelling balls at the gangbang? Manscaped's got you covered. I'm sure you've heard us talk about the relentless internet censorship of sex-related content. YouTube, Facebook, Snapchat, they are all at it. Even the dating apps are full of fakes and bots. There's so many people looking for intimate online connections, and it's getting increasingly difficult to find. Well, enter MyGirlFund.com. This is a service that allows you to connect online, one-on-one, with sexy women. And they've been at it since 2009. On MyGirlFriend.com, you can message, share videos and photos, live cam, or develop virtual relationships with women safely and privately. Now, you know I'm all about people getting paid for their labor, right? It is increasingly difficult for women to get paid for virtual adult work without risking personal exposure. Many women are willing to dirty chat or share nude content for money, but safe, discreet platforms are very rare. My Girl Fund allows women to control their exposure. They connect with who they want to connect with, control how they want to interact, and decide what they charge for these interactions. My Girl Fund's focus on anonymity and privacy allow complex, intimate relationships to develop. There's also no set prices for interactions and content. It's all negotiated one-on-one. You can join MyGirlFund.com for free. Yes, free. And for a limited time, you can also become a lifetime premium member for less than $5. All you have to do is visit MyGirlFund.com slash Sunny. Yeah, that means you can get discounted credits and bonus interaction features for life. Just go to M-Y-G-I-R-L-F-U-N-D dot com slash Sunny. So you had said something, Dr. Liz, at the beginning of our conversation, you said, you know, if someone falls on the monogamy side of the spectrum. So I'm thinking about what that can mean in the minds of our listeners. So when you say, you know, is 
monogamy and polyamory a spectrum? And if so, are the points along those spectrums or, or along that spectrum Things like we've been talking about, maybe, you know, these are our rules for our relationship or, you know, we can't get emotionally serious. Like, what are the points along those spectrum? I think it definitely is a spectrum. I think that there are some folks out there who are just constitutionally more monogamous. They just, when they're in love with someone, don't really have a desire to, like, fall in love with or date other people. That's just how they're wired. I think there are some people who are just constitutionally non-monogamous. It does not matter how much they love a person, they are still always available for new love, and it's just kind of how they function. And I think there's a whole bunch of us who are somewhere in the middle, but because we're so strongly conditioned towards monogamy by our culture, that's where most people tend to trend towards. I think that depending on how each relationship is structured, you could have monogamists who are in slightly less structured relationships than people who are in very strict hierarchical polyamory relationships. Um, mm. And I think a lot of it looks at like, how do we negotiate around people's bodies? How do we handle consent and autonomy and empowerment within our relationships? You can have folks who are monogamous, who don't have sex with other people, but who still have deeply loving relationships with friends or chosen family or who um, spend a lot of their social time with people who aren't their partner or who have very rich lives separate from their partner, even though they are monogamous, who are free to do what they want to do with their own time and their own bodies, uh, with the understanding that some things may mean their relationship restructures. You can also have mm -hmm. people in polyamorous relationships who are very limited in what they're allowed to do by their partner, whose partners exert a lot of control over that person's body, over their time, that impede upon their agency in ways that are really problematic. And so I think it's less about where someone identifies on those spectra and much more about how they handle questions when it comes to conflicts between what one person wants and what the other wants and whether they center things like agency and autonomy or whether they center things like control and coercion and keeping things safe. Mm. Very helpful. Very, very helpful. So one of the, the basic rules in all of these different social surroundings that we have that people call the lifestyle, whether it's swinging, whether it's polyamory, whether it's BDSM, um, being a single man, especially if you're cis, uh, is becoming more and more and more problematic for a lot of people. If you want, if you are a cis hetero man, what would be the best way to start approaching relationships if you want to be polyamorous? Uh, Peppermint has a book called Playing Fair. Um, that is actually a really great resource. It's, it's a small book. It's, um, uh, I don't remember exactly how many pages off the top of my head. Cause that would be weird if I did, but, um, <laughs> it's, it's a short and expensive book. It's available anywhere. It's available anywhere books are sold. I would use that as a resource because a lot of it is about unlearning some of the traits that make cis men Cis het men, uh, especially, uh, a bit dodgy in these situations. Uh, it helps, mm -hmm. it, it's about unlearning a lot of the stuff that we, a lot of the, the programming that we have that makes us more dangerous than we even mean to be in a lot of these non-monogamous situations. Yeah. You know, as someone who is assigned female at birth and does a lot of dating of people who are, 
assigned male at birth, whether they are or who are trans men, right? Um, there is a very real danger that folks like that can pose to people in these communities. Um, I think that, so like the event I was at last night, the kink event was at a swinger club. And it's a swinger club where on this night, the one night a month that they do the kink event, single men don't have to pay a much higher entrance fee. So you get a lot of single dudes showing up. And I don't think that they mean to make people feel uncomfortable, but they get really close to people and get very uh, upfront and aggressive and assertive about how they approach people for things like sex, even if they don't know those folks at all yet, in a way that makes them stand out as people who don't understand the norms and who also aren't aware of the fact that like the number one risk to folks assigned female at birth is cisgender men. Um, number one killer, number one reason we die early is cisgender men. And that's not me being like a man-hating feminist. That's the statistics. Um, dudes hurt women a lot. Not every dude, obviously, but enough that it means that a lot of us are pretty cautious. And most of us have had the experience in non-monogamy communities of a dude who isn't actually a part of our community coming in and assuming that because we like to have sex with lots of people, we will obviously want to have sex with them and have no reason that we would need to vet them or think about them beforehand. So I often tell cisgender dudes coming into these communities to come in with a whole lot of patience and that it might take you six months or a year before you're a trusted entity. A whole lot of patience and the willingness to listen without debating. Mm -hmm. It's something, something we do a lot of because everyone wants to feel, mm -hmm. you know, everyone wants to think of themselves in the best terms possible. So when someone approaches and says, Hey, this thing you did, this thing you said, it wasn't good. It didn't go over well. The first instinct is always to say, no, it was fine. No, I, you know, no, it was a joke. No, it was fine. Nobody was hurt. The person that tells me that they're hurt, they weren't really hurt, you know, as opposed to just listening, understanding what the problem was, learning better and then doing better. You know, um, yeah. like I've had my own experiences with, uh, with, with cis guys in these spaces where I've gotten, like, I've, I remember spending a night in a, in a swing club. And I was there with a couple of partners and my partners were hanging out and like I had guys approaching me talking about like how we can approach getting together with these girls, getting together with these women. Like he's sitting there trying to like strategize with me on how to bang the people that I came there with. Mm. <laughs> and I'm like, God. sir, these are both partners that I'm here with. Like, if you want to approach them, you can go right on ahead, but I'm not going to wingman for you as you're trying. Like, I'm not like, I don't need a plan of attack here. If you feel you need <laughs> one beyond, hi, my name is so-and-so. This is what I'm into tonight. You go right on ahead, but that's not going to work out the way you think it is. And I think that that's yeah. like hitting on something really important here, which is that if you're a guy trying to get into these communities who is single, talk to the women like they're people. Don't talk to them like they're a vagina you're trying to enter. You yeah. know, you have to... The, straight cis dating teaches a lot of really gross things to men about, you know, focusing on the sex and focusing on getting laid and objectification and a lot of really gross values about how to interact with these people you're supposed to theoretically develop loving relationships with. 
And people in these non-monogamy communities, our bullshit filter is very strongly attuned because we get it a lot. And we're not going to sit there and listen to your shitty pickup lines. And we can tell if you're just looking at us like the next person to fuck. I love fucking. I love casual sex so goddamn much. I love fucking a hot stranger like nobody's business. And there are so many men who talk their way out of my panties because they can't just talk to me like a human first. Yeah, and as someone who does a quite a, a quite a fair bit of fucking, like I realize like the bar is super low, and that like and that's that's something I'm able like, I'm able to clear a very low bar, and I, I often have partners naked wrapped around me saying, "Oh my God, Kevin, you did this amazing thing," and then they'll tell me something that was like basic human decency, which shows you how how infrequently they run into basic human decency yeah yeah so there are a lot of people that i think either own swing clubs or will own swing clubs in the future that are listening to this podcast and they be wondering to themselves wow that's you know this is a lot more involved and intense than i thought it would be how do people do a successful business like this and to them i would say if you've ever been to toronto canada before the most amazing swing club that Sonny and I have been to is Oasis Aqua Lounge. Oh, it's so good. I loved it there. And and oh, and I can't say enough good stuff about them. And I think one of the secrets there is that it's primarily gay women that run the establishment. Now, I don't know if they own it or not, but I know for sure that they run it. And so they make a safe space for everyone. Now, how did you feel when you went there, Kev? Now, all right. So there's... I'm of two minds. Well, one, like I had a great time with the people that I went to there with, but um, it was the weekend of the playground uh, conference that they run um, that they run in Toronto, and you basically got a a discount if you were part of the uh, the conference. Like if you showed up with your conference badge, you got a discount. I had a great time with the people that I went there with. The people who were just there, the people who were regulars there, there was some fetishization that happened there. There was some, um, there was some non-consensual touching that happened there. Then that was really difficult to deal with. Um, oh yeah, I, I, I wrote it into, I wrote some of that into uh, uh, my book, Love's Not Colorblind, um, because it was, it was important enough to talk about in a book that wasn't about swinging, but. Um, I don't know all of their details. Like, I don't know how they handle safety, how they handle safety situations. I don't know what the reaction would have been had I talked to one of the organizers, one of the owners, one of the staff. Um, so I can't vouch for any of that. All I know is that I went there with some great people and I really like the establishment. I really like the, uh, the, the atmosphere. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And I think, you know, what I would say to folks who are looking at starting swing clubs is, it's not as simple as creating a space for people to have sex because you have to think about all of the things that make that kind of space safe for everybody, not just the people like you. Um, Oasis is great in a lot of ways and it's not accessible. So if you have a friend or a lover who uses mobility devices, you can't go there. Um, yeah. If you are someone who has a fragrance allergy, There are very few swing clubs or sex clubs that you can go to. One of my good friends, um, you know, Rachel Rose of the Hedonish blog. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. She's fantastic, and she has a severe fragrance allergy. And there are very few places that she can go 
because people don't even think about that. And they'll have perfume and cologne in their bathrooms. Um, I think that a big thing about it is figuring out how you teach the people who come to your venue what the rules are in that venue, because there is almost no one in the Western world who gets a good education about how to be in a space where sex is a possibility uh, without being creepy. And, mm -hmm. you know, the one of the best communities I've been a part of is the Bonobo tribe in the Bay Area. And what they tell everybody for their parties is treat this as a high possibility, uh, low expectation space. There's a lot of things that could happen tonight, but you need to expect as little as possible because that way you're going to be able to show up like a full human with everyone you interact with. I think there's also a lot of normalization we need to do of people not having sex at the sex places. When I go to a swingers club, the majority of the time, the majority of the people are not doing anything that is related to fucking. They're hanging out. They're chatting. They're drinking. They're snacking on some food. Like, I think people have this idea of what going to a sex party is where, like, you walk in and everybody fucks everybody and it's automatic and there's no, like, <laughs> it's just, boom, you walk in and, like, dicks and pussies everywhere. And that is not yeah. what it is at all. It's much more like a middle school dance where, like, eventually someone breaks the dicks and pussies threshold and then all the dicks and pussies come out. <laughs> but until then, it's just a bunch of awkward dancing and holding your drinks. Right. And still, there are still some people just kind of half dancing. On oh, the of course. Lines, Absolutely. You know? yeah. yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So and I, a lot of men with shirts, but no. Oh, pants. God, shirt cocking. Don't shirt <laughs> cock. Shirt cocking doesn't yeah. look good on anyone. Yeah, yeah. With socks on. Uh, so <laughs> yes, tube socks. It is always tube socks. Yes, yes. Oh, my God. So, okay. I'm I know talk. what my Halloween costume is. Oh, no. <laughs> Guy at a swinger party. Jeez nope, Louise. I'm going to be a okay. cock. See how many people get it. I want to talk about power dynamics, not only in spaces, but power dynamics in relationships. Like, why do they matter? And what are some of the ways that they specifically affect poly relationships? Like, the pitfalls we need to avoid with them. Now, I I, I wrote a book about it, but, um, but, but, <laughs> but since we're not reading from that book right now, um, what I'll say is that, like, I know one of the power dynamics uh, that, that that we discuss, and one of the things that I that I wrote a book about was like uh, was the way race impacts uh, our experiences in terms of going being in polyamorous spaces or being even in like polyamorous relationships, where like even basic stuff like um, where events were taking place. There were times where you know I. I'd get a message saying like, Hey, there's going to be a happy hour, but this is a happy hour where it's a part of town where you never see a lot of black folks. So I know going into it that I'm not going to see a lot of black folks. You know, I might've gotten an invite, but like I might have the money to go to this thing, but it, there's a cover charge. There's, you know, a, you know, a two drink minimum. There's some financial barrier that people with a class disparity are not going to be able to see through, or it's on a weeknight right. and I've got kids. You know, will I have to pay for babysitting to to be able to go out and 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 enjoy this thing? Like these are the things that a lot of people don't always, that not always cognizant of, and it mm -hmm. changes the demographics of of the groups that we're in. Um, power dynamics in terms of like uh, privilege and oppression, they change the dynamics of the people that we date. It changes the way we see people, um, and like form attractions and if you're mm -hmm. not if you don't stay cognizant of those things if you don't keep those like in the back of your mind or at the forefront of your mind 
it's 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 the reason why polyamory often looks like um a white thing that other people can do too why i don't use the term polyamory yeah because <laughs> that's what i think of like yeah, yeah. and i think a yeah. big part of it too is that power dynamics are complex and nuanced and they shift and change depending upon where we are and who we're with and what the power is in that situation because there are certain like any given demographic that might confirm more or less power upon you, societally speaking, might in other contexts or settings actually be flipped. Um, so like the, the partner I have, my fantastic new partner, who is wonderful in so many ways, we have a really significant age difference. I am 12 years older than my partner. That is a very potent power dynamic. Yeah. I'm at a very different place in my life in terms of being established socially and knowing myself. I'm at a different place in my life in terms of my finances and understanding what that looks like. And so at any given time, all of these different factors are playing into our relationship. My partner is assigned male at birth. So in a lot of settings, they might be read as a man where I'm read as a woman, which would give them power in ways that I can't access. And so you have mm. to be aware of how all of these different factors are interplaying in the way that you carry on a relationship. So like with this partner, we've had a lot of conversations about how I can help them feel comfortable talking about what's coming up for them and whether they're feeling in the relationship like they have an equitable stake, like they're able to use their yeses and nos in a way that is real for them and how I can wow. notice if something is going wrong there because it's not on them to be the one making sure that they have a voice. It's on me as the person with more power to create as much structure as possible to make it easier for them to use their voice. Mm. Now, um, yeah, that's so uh, important. Liz mentioned uh, uh, Rachel Rose earlier, uh, the Heat Niche blog. Yeah. Uh, Rachel hosts a play party um, in, in my local area. Now, when those play parties first started, they were femmes, women, non-binary uh, people, uh, I think primarily AFAB people, but I'm not positive on that. But what mm-hmm. I know is that a cis, as a cis man, I wasn't allowed to go to those parties. And every time those parties got held, I'd hear so many awesome stories about how warm and welcoming and fantastic mm-hmm. they were. And I'd always feel like, boy, I wish I could go. But then the fact of the matter is that the reason why those parties were as good as they were is because cis guys like me weren't allowed to go that like so many of the people who were attending are people who are traditionally societally oppressed by cis men and no matter how cool i could try to be that's something i bring with me whether i want to or not that's something that shows up with my very presence that i would damage the environment of such a great event you know is is reason enough for me to not feel so left out because i should be left out and i think that that's an important point that It's not about you as an individual all the time when we're talking about this. Like I as an individual am not trying to like take advantage of my new partner and like lord my power or age over them. However, other people are going to look at me and treat me differently than they would my partner because of those differences. Just like when Kevin and I are out together, I'm not trying to like exercise privilege over Kevin, but people are going to treat the two of us very differently than they would if I was out with someone else or if he was out with someone else or if either of us was out alone. And you just have to be super aware of how the things that you didn't ask for are still influencing the way that you're perceived and received by people. And like 
sometimes that means you're not going to be welcome in a space or that a space is not for you. And that has to be okay. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. Again, putting myself in the mind of the American fucker listening along and specifically the American fucker that's like, I'm new to Polly and I joined that Facebook group and it's really scary. So I won't really go there anymore. Um, but listening to this conversation has been insightful and great, but there's still so much where do I go? Like, where do the new polyamorous people go that isn't like the Facebook cesspool to get this information and to learn? I mean, the the easy answer is our new class. Uh, you know, Kevin and I, we really have noticed that there is not a lot of stuff out there to help people who are newer to non-monogamy figure out all of these different issues and nuances around how to be in these communities. And so we wanted to create like a very extensive and loving poly 101 for people who want to move through these communities in a way that is ethical and that is centered in autonomy and respect for everybody involved. The more nuanced answer is it kind of depends on where you are. If yeah. you live in a city that has a really good poly community, going and meeting other people in your community and getting involved in the community, going to munches, going to hangouts, going to happy hours is one of the best ways to do it as long as you live in an area that has that community and a community that will be welcoming to people like you. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. it's uh, it's one of those things where you find yourself a community and you read the room for a while because a lot of people try to come in and make the, the make their big splash, make their big impression right away when really like spending some time reading the room, gaze the community, find your, find a natural in and then use it and then sort of using that to like uh to get to know people that works as well um something i wanted to say about the class as as liz brought up is we're also going to be using a lot of our own personal experiences as well as like uh like as well as coming from an educational standpoint because i know that that's how i learn i like hearing people's stories i learn better uh hearing people's stories and liz and i have a wealth of experience we have a lot of ups and a lot of downs and <laughs> and we love talking about how we fucked it up really badly yeah, because that's that's really valuable as well. Like monogamous folks screw up their monogamous relationships all the time. All the time. Very, yeah, and very rarely do they ever say, "Well, maybe it was the monogamy, and we should stop doing this." Meanwhile, people do that with polyamory all the time, where they'll screw up a polyamorous relationship and and decide that maybe polyamory just wasn't for them. And no, mm-hmm. Liz and I, we screwed up our polyamory lots of times, and we we'll, we, we will continue to screw it up until the day we die. Yeah. Yeah. But also, like, yeah. but also, yeah. we, we do really well with our polyamory because we take ownership of our mistakes. We talk about it. We we learn better and we do better. Mm-hmm. Nice. Is there any chance your class is going to be available in any kind of a video format online? Well, so it's a live webinar that we're offering it. So it's a six week live webinar Yay. online. So no matter where you are, you can take it, uh, and we will be recording it. So there'll be like recorded versions available for sale after the the six week run is done. Yes. Cool, cool, cool. And what we'll do is in the show notes at americansexpodcast.com for this episode, we'll have the link to your class in addition to other things that we mentioned. So Peppermint's book, I'll look up the link for that and put it in the show notes. And anything else we happen to mention during this episode will all be there. Um, And in terms of people finding out more about you, even though that's all going to be in the show notes, can you give us the quick down and dirty? Because I know you both have some books (laughs) and where can we find you online and all that good stuff? Kev, you go first. 
All right. Well, I'm Poly Role Models on everywhere. Poly Role Models, one word. Uh, I'm polyrolemodels.tumblr.com. I'm Poly Role Models on Instagram and Twitter. Um, I'm Poly Role Models on Facebook. Um, my books are Love's Not Colorblind, Race and Representation in uh, Polyamorous and Other Alternative Communities, and the For Hire series, which are queer polyamorous superhero books that I wrote with the polyamorous librarian, uh, Alana, Alana Phelan, and we've got Polly. And you should read those books if you haven't read them yet. Yes. You want to read those books? Yeah. Yes, and if awesome. you're like, if you're on the fence, we also did an episode with Alana and Kevin, and I will link that in the show notes so you can listen to that. And after listening to that, you'll be like, I got fucking read yeah, these books. That will yeah. convince like, you. Like, let's not colorblind yes. is the important book, but for hire, those books are fun. I, I enjoy writing yeah. them. I, I enjoy reading them to get references for the next ones that I'm writing. So yeah, mm. get those. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Dr. Liz, what about uh, you? You can find my website at drlizpowell.com. So drlizpowell.com. I am at Dr. Liz Powell on Instagram. Uh, I am at Sex Pause Psych on Twitter. Uh, and my YouTube channel is Sex Positive Psych. I also have a Patreon, and I would love to have more patrons. And we'll give you that link in the show notes. Where do you find awesome. the class, Liz? Oh, the class is at sexpositivepsych.teachable.com, yeah. or we have a bit.ly. Kev, what's our bit.ly? It's uh, bit.ly slash unfuck polyam. Nice. Very cool. All right. We'll have all that in the show notes. And uh, oh, when does it start? Like, is it April does 1st. It start at a certain time? April 1st. Okay, cool. Yay. April Fool's Day. Is this a, an elaborate joke? It is joke not an elaborate joke. <laughs> It'll be a poly intervention. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, no. as always, Dr. Liz, thank you for your service. Thank you. Kevin, thank you for being an international man of mystery. You are welcome. <laughs> Yay. All right. Bye. Bye, Bye guys. Thanks for listening to American Sex. To keep up with Ken and I, we'll first make sure you watch our TV show, Sex with Sunny Megatron, on Showtime. Then visit SunnyMegatron.com. There you can learn more about us, read our blog, peruse our workshop calendar, or hire us. For what? Well, either for private coaching, or to book us to teach at your event or university, or as sex and relationship writers for your publication. Oh, and don't forget, we're on social media, too. I'm the super social one, so you can find me as Sunny Megatron on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, my YouTube channel, and a bunch of other places. But if you want to get me on Snapchat, you got to look for Sunny underscore Megatron, and you can follow Ken on Twitter at at tag PsyChicken. That's P-S-Y-C-H-I-C-K-E-N. Also, please support us by shopping with the affiliates and sponsors from our breaks. And if you contribute to our Patreon, we're going to love you forever. Well, we're going to love you forever anyway, but just go with it. Lastly, if you like this broadcast, tell people about it. Tweet it, Facebook status it, and rate it on iTunes and other platforms. Thanks, friends. We'll see you next week on American Sex.